The Old Testament lesson is written in the 11th chapter of Numbers. The rabble among them had a strong craving, and the Israelites also wept again and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remembered the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servants so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them, that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised on the oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they come weeping to me and say, Give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered seventy elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And when the spirit is rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. The two men remained encamped, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant to Moses, one of his chosen men, said, My lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake, but that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them? The word of the Lord. Please join in the responsive reading of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear and enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even such fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The New Testament lesson is written in the first, fifth chapter of James. Are, you, um, are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Alleluia. Lord, to whom shall we go? Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and, be, and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
You may be seated. Well, today in our gospel reading, Jesus certainly is a bit, I don't know, how shall we say it, um, aggressive today and how he's talking about sin and cutting things off. Seems like maybe this is a great example here of why I don't read everything in the Bible literally. This is what my English teacher back in the day would have called hyperbole, I think. Jesus here is exaggerating, really, really exaggerating to make a point. And in some ways, his point doesn't fully make sense. I mean, think about it. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Like, really? If you're having trouble with stumbling, I don't think losing a foot is going to help you with that problem whatsoever. But Jesus here is making a point. Maybe, maybe he's trying to make the point that several um, of our readings over the past few weeks from the Gospel of Mark have been doing. It seems to be something to the effect of, Truly following Jesus and being one of his disciples is hard. Like, really hard. I mean, think back to the last month or so of our readings from Mark. We've had Jesus say, deny yourself. We've had him say, the first will be last. We've heard him say that whoever wants to be the greatest among you must be a servant of all. I mean, even last week we talked about Jesus' call to welcome everyone. Jesus also has these kind of, uh, this uh, saying of, take up your cross to follow me. Not easy stuff to do and to live out. And so here we are again. Jesus seems to be using hyperbole to make a point. This week his disciples are upset because someone who was not part of their select crew, part of the gang, they were out doing exorcisms, doing the work that they were doing, and they were doing it in Jesus' name, but they weren't The person doing it was not part of the club. And Jesus responds with, well, whoever is not against us is for us. A bit of an opposite saying of what we maybe have heard um, from other leaders in other times. So we have these hard hard words of Jesus. And then we have the other part of today's reading that is um, taking very serious the effects of of sin and maybe the need to remove it. I mean, Jesus seems to be making the point that like a hand or foot that has maybe like gangrene or something other, some other kind of life-threatening disease with it, it is better to remove it and lose that one part than to be thrown into the fire. Now, the interesting word here that we have for hell is the Greek word, which uh, for those of us that remember, the, Old Te- or the New Testament was written in Greek. The original language was Greek. And the word isn't actually hell. The word is Gehenna. It was an actual place. It was like a dumpster fire in the ravine south of the Jerusalem city. And it was an unquenchable fire, you could say. Jesus also uses these words, unquenchable fire and the worm that never dies, because these are kind of common idioms for, across Jewish culture about how evil would be destroyed. So, to return to what I think may be Jesus' main point in the past couple chapters of Mark, which is that being a follower of Jesus is hard, and following his radical teachings on welcome and inclusion and forgiveness and loving others and how the kingdom of God worked, well, they're super-duper hard, if not impossible. I mean, throwing the things that make us stumble into the fire doing these hard teachings and living them out, not just giving them a platitude, 
man, it's hard, super duper hard, maybe even impossible. And we see how difficult it is for the disciples to even understand what Jesus is talking about, let alone try to live it out. I mean, remember last week when they were arguing about who was the greatest of them? Right after Jesus had been talking about how his followers were to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him? I mean, trusting God is something we humans, myself very much included, have always struggled with. I mean, we need to look no further than our Old Testament reading today in Numbers where we have the Israelites. They have been miraculously led out of slavery. Remember that story of the ten plagues and the Red Sea parted as they crossed over, and they've been receiving daily shipments of manna into their camp so they don't go hungry. And what do they do to respond to all of these things that have been happening for them? In the story today, they complain. They complain about everything. They complain even about how great things used to be when they were slaves back in Egypt. And so they're complaining and they whine to Moses, who then finds himself complaining to God about these ungrateful people. Moses takes their complaints and he goes to God and says, who do you think I am, their mother? Is this, if this is the way that they are going to treat me and this is what the work you're going to give me to do, God, just kill me now. I want none of it. Everyone in this Numbers story seems to be so dramatic. I mean, what is, the, what is it that the Israelites want? They want meat. They're tired of manna, of this bread that they keep getting, that they don't even really have to do anything to get. And so they are complaining about not having meat very loudly. It says in the Scripture that they're at the, tent, the doors of their tent complaining and wailing about what they don't have. And Moses is fed up with these whiny people that he's supposed to be leading. Now, I don't want to make I don't know what to make of Moses here. On the one hand, I feel for him that he is probably overreacting to these complaints a bit. But on the other hand, I can really, I can feel for him because the one line jumps out at me of what he's kind of going through. He says, God, I am not able to carry all these people alone for they are just too heavy for me. Now, I've definitely, to be fully honest, logged some complaints with God that sound similar to what Moses said today. A lot of these complaints came as a pastor. I mean, what am I supposed to do, God? Am I these people's mother? No. But also, sometimes, I feel this way. It's just too heavy, God. I feel it as, as a dad, as a friend, as a citizen in Minot and in North Dakota and in the United States. Sometimes the people around me just seem so heavy. I mean, do they have rocks in their heads or something? What is going on? Sometimes I just, maybe you felt this way too, just kind of say, you know, I just can't handle people today. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, oofta, the things that people think and then say out loud in this day and age can be mind-boggling. And Moses seems to be relating to this 4,000 years before us today in social media even. So what does God's solution for Moses look like to help him with these rock-hearted, heavy people? Well, I can tell you one thing. It isn't to get rid of them. God tells Moses actually kind of the opposite. He says, gather together 70 of the elders at the regular meeting place. The tent of meeting is what it was called. And God's solution is to bring these people together so that they may all share in the burden. 
And as they are gathered together, God sends the Holy Spirit upon them and they begin prophesying. Now, prophesying is a really fun word that we hear every once in a while in the Bible. It's not something that we usually translate to today, but most of us might be wondering, what does it look like or sound like with 70 people prophesying? Well, I have no idea. It sounds very intriguing. I would love to experience it. On our Wandering in the Word podcast this last week, the conversation that we have with Pastor Brandy and Melissa and myself, um, we actually talked about this. What does it sound like to have 70 people prophesying? And I don't know about you, but usually when I hear the word prophesying or prophecy, it has something to do with like predicting the future. So like where people are just wandering around saying, next Tuesday you're going to stub your toe on a stump and 14 days from now you're going to win the lottery and so on and so forth. I hope not. That doesn't seem all that interesting. Prophecy in the Old Testament actually usually means, and this carries over into the New Testament too, prophecy means to call the people to repent and to work for justice for the lowly, poor, and outcast. It wasn't a predicting of the future. It was a call to do the work that God wants us to do. So what if those 70 people that had come in and Moses needed help with these heavy people, and what if those 70 people came and they had a come-to-Jesus moment of sorts, and they were compelled by the Spirit to go out and to work together for the sake of those in the community who were struggling or lonely or shunned? All of a sudden, the complaining that everyone was doing does not become the default setting working together to be God's hands in the midst of a hurting world becomes the mission. You can probably gather where I'm going with this right now. We, as Christ's church, all too often sit, sit around and complain about this or that, whatever it may be, and we so easily lose sight of what we exist to do, our mission Our mission here as First Lutheran Church is an old one, but it works just fine. It's actually on a really big poster in the back corner of the sanctuary. It says this, our mission is to grow in faith, or gather in faith, grow through grace, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. I have a secret to tell you. Pastor Brandy and myself and Melissa and the other staff of this church, we can't do this mission alone. We can't and we shouldn't. Y'all are just too heavy, and I don't mean that in a mean way. There's just a lot of us, and that's a good thing. We can not do the work that God calls us to do individually and on, just simply on our own. It takes all of us coming together in the tent of meeting, you could say, in the tent of the live stream meeting, and on the radio as well. We can come together and do the work of loving God by loving our neighbor. Rather than complaining about the way things used to be or how we want them, rather we can just focus on our mission. Easy to say, hard to do, I know, but what if we took it seriously? Jesus gives us a warning about it. I mean, we, like we started the sermon today, following Jesus is not easy. We've got to daily die to ourselves and be raised with Christ. That's not easy. Following Jesus will be hard, but it will also absolutely change and transform you. But not just us as individuals following Jesus. Us as a church, as the body of Christ, following Him in the hard things will change us as a church. When we open ourselves to being changed, all of a sudden our complaining will 
will move to prophesying, where we do the work of recognizing the image of God in all of God's people and doing the hard work of reconciliation, breaking down all the isms this world has created, racism and ableism and ageism and sexism and on and on and on. The evil that this world has put up, we can do the work of taking down. As followers of Jesus, we are called to do this hard work, not on our own because it's too heavy. We've got to do it together as the body of Christ out in the world. Doing this will require change, maybe even the need to remove some parts of us that are causing us to stumble. But like we were reminded in these waters of baptism, we are called in these waters to care for others in the world that God made and to work for justice and peace. So people of God, may we do this hard work. May we trust in God's steadfast love and faithfulness that will help us together take the steps we need to do to prophesy in this world and to work for justice and peace for all. May it be so. Amen.